In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right, this August 17th through the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic-Con action only in Connecticut at Terrific Con. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificcon.com. Avengers Infinity War. Now, nothing will ever be the same. Can anyone make sense out of all that's happened? These guys are going to try. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York morning radio broadcast announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, inundated with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. What happens next? Listen up, true believers. It's time for another episode of The Marvelists. Attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents The Amazing Spider-Man. Hello, everyone. You are listening to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into today's topic matter at hand of Spider-Man 3 from 2007, let's get into our social media rigmarole. Eddie, go on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. And you'll give us a like ski on there. I actually think you haven't liked the page, believe it or not. You have an administrator duty. O-M-G. G. Quiz, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Eddie, fix that thing. Give us a like ski at Facebook.com slash The Marvelous. There we go. We're going to do one more time for that. Anyway, also go on Twitter at The Marvelists. Give a follow on there. Eddie, you should follow yourself at The Marvelous. No, no, that's E. Wilson 959, Eddie. Jeez. Eh. I'm putting words in your mouth now. Anyway, so you can also follow myself at Peter Melnick, P-E-T-E-R-M-E-L-N-I. 
C.K. Mm. Words. Yes. Mm. Anyway, also go on Instagram at... The Marvelists. There we go. And give us a follow on there. I'm at Peter Melnick, and you're, I believe, something completely different. Instagram? Yeah, you have like a different name. It's yes, not... it's Eddie91193-7523G-Alpha-Q-Square-Green. How are we supposed to remember that? Flashcards, Eddie. Flashcards. By the rights. How bizarre. How bizarre, indeed. I, I don't even know how to respond back to that, but... It's moving right along. Like a Studebaker. Also, you can go on Stitcher Radio and give our show a listen, available for all iOS and Android devices. And when you are on Stitcher's website, stitcher.com slash premium, use the promo code at checkout. Marvelists. There we go. It's been a while. It's been a while. What you can do is use that promo code at checkout. And when you do, you are able to get one month free of Stitcher Premium. And when you do so, you're able to listen to a crap ton of content, including... The archives, the full archives of Smodcast, all of the Smodco shows, Hollywood Babylon, Tell Em Steve Dave, The Secret Stash, etc., etc. You also get the full archive of WTF with Mark Marin, so you get to listen to like interviews with, again, a crap ton of people. And finally, also, you can listen to Wolverine, The Long Night, brought to you by Marvel themselves. So give that a check. Check that out. Check, check, check that out. Check it out. Check one, check two, check Check three. Exactly. We go up to 11 on this show. Because it sounds better. It does. Why not just go to 10? Because 11 gets you over the edge. But anyway, use that promo code at checkout, Marvelous, and you'll be able to get one month free. And then after that, it's four ninety nine a month. And to be honest, I'm still using Stitcher Premium so I can listen to the WTF archives. And it's pretty good stuff. So, Stitcher.com slash premium, yada, 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 Marvelous. Anyway. You can also listen to the show on iTunes. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and on social media, share this show. Use the hashtag Marvelists and let people know you're listening, okay? Okay. Cool, cool. Thank you very much. Would you like to, Eddie? I would like to. Fantastic. Four. No, that's not till February, Eddie. I can't wait. You're you're getting ahead. (laughs) Well, when you say, here's the thing, I keep looking for a big orange guy. Orange rock monster. That's exactly right. (laughs) Daddy wants to get his rocks off. All right, line crossed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we even also get into our topic matter, a hand of Spider-Man 3, we got to talk about what's going on in the Marvel News news this week. News, news, news. Yeah, north, east, west, and south. Correct. So first off, in an upcoming issue of, I believe, Cosmic Ghost Rider, they're going to be bringing in a new version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And one of the characters is a mainstay of the regular Marvel continuity. And it's kind of a cool choice. You wouldn't expect this character to be joining the Guardians, but he'll be joining them. He is? Nathan Dayspring, Aksanison, Chu, Gesundheit, Summers. Summers, yes. I would just want to go on to Nathan. Everything in the middle is oh, he's, Fluff. It really is. Well, I mean, Nathan Fluff Summers doesn't really sound like a good name. No, but Fluffer Nutter is yummy. It, it, it's delicious. I haven't had it in years, but I, I may have some soon. And it <laughs> you, will stick to the roof of your mouth. Probably. But he's going to be doing an appearance in the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy. I, you know what? Cosmic Ghost Rider, first of all, when I heard that concept, said, uh, what? But I think it's supposed to use still Robbie Reyes, I'm the not most entire- recent one. You know what? I, I got it. Gotta know when to say when. 
So that may escape me. Well, when I went this past weekend to Eternal Con in Long Island, New York, I actually grabbed some Legos that were there, and one of them was a, I guess, a custom-made Ghost Rider, and I almost got a second one to give to you. I didn't, oh, but I almost did. But that's okay. That's fine. I appreciate the sentiment. And uh, yes, you're, you are You need to have an inventory of like how many you now possess. I own many. I own. Is that a number that I was asking? Oh, it's many. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's its own number. One, two, three, many. And, you know, I'm, I got to tell you, the world of uh, custom made, custom printed Legos is pretty wild. Like there's some characters in there that I am still shocked to see. But you need a carry case, I think, or it, a display case or both. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you know, with Marvel going back to the Guardians of the Galaxy, the new version, I dig the idea of that team. I think they're also going to have, I believe, Juggerduck, which is going to be like a Howard the Duck, but like roided up like the Juggernaut. I guess. Jeez. There's also going to be a Rocket Raccoon Groot hybrid, which people already have lovingly called Grocket. Grocket. Okay. I was thinking, what would you call it? And of course, they figured it out already. And then there's a supposed, it's either going to be Major Victory or a Captain Marvel slash Captain America hybrid, which is kind of cool. And yeah, I, I haven't seen this, but I probably will give it a chance because I'm I'm a Guardians fanboy. And it's it's cool to see interpretations of these characters in these many different ways. It's funny you're mentioning a combination cross-up, match-up, mash-up, and I thought of one for myself when I saw the title. And if you, it harkens back to an early Elton John song, but Crocodile two, Rock. Two of my no, but you're sort of kind of on the right on the right track. Two of the cosplays that I've done are Captain America and Levon, Mister Fantastic, Reed Richards. Okay. Captain so, Fantastic? Captain Fantastic. With a stretchy shield. Uh, <laughs> hey, the shield stretches too. Why not? The shield will stretch with my outstretched arm, maybe. It could. It. I don't know. It's, it's just an idea that happened to, to earlier today, so we'll see if it takes root, not Groot, and is nurtured. That's the cool thing about a lot of these cosplays I've seen. Like, I love mashup cosplays. I think that's such a cool concept that you when executed properly leads to some pretty great things and as a matter of fact my friend Billy uh, Portuguese he does cosplay and Billy, he does mashup Billy, Billy is Portuguese or that's his last name that's his last name really yeah Billy Portuguese so what is he what uh, ethnicity I don't know Spanish or something Italian I don't know Italian ah my goomba okay <laughs> okay um, sorry that's the most that I am but a mashup thing I've done sort of to a minor degree was a, a Tony Stark Iron Man combo I'm still my favorite one of Billy's is his Flash slash slash mashup. So the guitarist slash and the flash. So he's the slash. Okay. I, I went to Flash Thompson. I said, How do you do this? <laughs> it's possible. You know, you just got, you have to believe in yourself. What and... universe are you in now? You're mentioning some other character. Well, hey, okay. hey. Sometimes we can be the DC Marvelists, sometimes I guess. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Okay, sometimes gotta... you don't. Mm-hmm. Almond Joy. Well, that is Almond Joy, right? You are in joy. I'm in ecstasy. No, per- that's something else. Personally, I'm a fan of Spuno. You know, Spuno? No. Oh, wait, that's mountains upside down. I guess it is. Every year for Halloween when I come by your place and you give me a bag of candy, there's always a, a mounds in there. I flip it upside down. I go, Eddie gave me a Spuno. I can't wait. Okay, now I know. Now it can be told. Spuno is amazing. To tell somebody not to put mounds in Peter's bag. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I want more Spuno. Anyway. Okay, but no, I think that would be a good, that'd be a good mashup. Possibly Captain America with Mr. Fantastic. 
one of my enough elements of both will really confuse people, I suppose. I've still wanted it's kind of a mashup cosplay, but not really. I want to do because I own the props for it. Star Lord possessed by the Infinity Gauntlet. Sure. And it's pretty much just me wearing, you know, eyeliner. Yeah, the one purple stone, why doesn't it go for the whole shebang? Mm-hmm. That's true. Actually, I've done a little combo Peter Parker Spider Man combo thing. Um, so that's got potential. I think combos yeah. are more in the, like, mashups are more of, like, things that you wouldn't expect to see mashed up together. And like, you would not see any more than one of. So that's good. That would set yeah. you apart. It's the originality um, of it all. Yes, the creativity will flow. Although, you know, the thing is, I really enjoy those. Captain America Spider-Man mashups that I've seen over the past oh, few yes, years. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I saw another one at uh, at Eternal Con. Yeah, they're becoming commonplace now. And, and I don't know I don't know the gen- the origin of that. But... In all honesty, it's just a cool-looking costume. I think that's why okay. people are doing that. And all I get, like, I believe they sell them on, like, different Zentai suit websites, and you can grab that one. It must be, because they do not, they look too well done to be made, made up, fan-made, uh, but then again, I can be wrong. I, hey, I, fan-made I, costumes. I've seen some I defer to, stuff. and uh, I give kudos to the the uh, group known as Superheroes Unlimited, who go to a lot of shows, and they do a lot of creative costume making and customizing. There's been a Captain America shield that's been black and white, which is essentially a Punisher shield. I've seen that one. And, you know, and you know, there's many more things that they've done. Anime, other different areas that I don't know and can't speak too much, but... They're one of, and maybe that was an offshoot of others doing, you know, their own thing, which is fine. But kudos to them. Now, also on the topic of superheroes, I think I think that's a common recurring trend of this show. But the uh, top four movies of 2018 in the box office are superhero movies. Cool. These include Black Panther, of course, Deadpool 2, The Incredibles 2. Hmm. And Avengers Infinity War. And I believe as of this week, Avengers Infinity War has reached the $2 billion box office point and actually w- surpassed Titanic. Yeah, $2 billion would, I think, surpass anything now at this point. Jeez. Well, it's but, getting there. It's getting really close. But Incredibles too, huh? Yeah, Incredibles too. And Short run so far, uh, being out and already in that in really good cinematic company. It's it's kind of funny too because that movie, like you know, we just said, it, as of this recording, on June twentieth, the movie's only been out since this past weekend. Yeah. So to see all of these things coming around, you know, that fast, it also does have to deal with the aspect of you know the the younger generation, my generation, they loved The Incredibles. Yeah, that's so, uh, just another reminder that I really need to get to my DVDs to watch because I know I have. The first Incredibles. I've only watched, I believe, the first hour of it. I'm a terrible fan of this stuff, but I'm planning on finishing it so I can go see it. Actually, I actually want to see it this weekend, if possible. Okay. Like I, I have to figure out, honestly, as early as humanly possible to get, go for a showing because I do movie pass and I am not paying ten to fifteen dollars for a ticket. I actually went this past weekend to go see Tag with Jeremy Renner, Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. And first off, I love that movie. It it kind of got a bit like it's. Last time I saw in Rotten Tomatoes, it's about 56% rotten. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I thought it was really, really funny. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of really great lines. Like, my personal favorite one was them making fun of the concept of guys named Robert and being intimate with him. Oh, Bob, 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 Bob. Oh, Bob. Oh, Robert. 
just it just caught me so off guard. It's, okay, well, if it, if it works and it works for some, I didn't know what to make of it when I first saw the uh, oh, it's the trailer. I really enjoyed it, and uh, and you know they could either be really onto something or it could kind of <whistles> bomb. When you see that movie, tag. You're it. It, it will <laughs> change how you view Hawkeye. Uh, Inner monologues is all I will say because now when I see Hawkeye, that's what I'm going to think of. Just a quick little inner monologue of he's sitting at that spot. I will uh, open my bow and hit him, and then I hit him. <laughs> like just, it, I I can't even do it justice. But like like I said, it's it's a pretty good movie. Highly recommend checking that out. Which now reminds me of a tangent that I just saw a post. Which would be which would do better, Arrow or Hawkeye? As you know, a movie, as as uh, against each other. You know, if they were to take on each other. Who has the biggest cut of the uh, comic book proceeds? Is it Marvel or DC? <laughs> yeah, figures got to go into the inner working of that. It's true. I mean, in all honesty, when we got, you know, Avengers versus JLA, it went as a tie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but. Okay. I digest. Well done. <laughs> no, I, well, I had a regular burrito no, bowl. You it, like it was cooked. Mooing, don't you? I do. Yeah. But anyway. Goodness, we're after dinner now. Now. What we're going to talk about next is the biggest news item. We're up to that? Yeah. Well, yes. I would say so, yeah. Okay. As of today of this recording, mm-hmm. Fox has accepted the highest bid of $71 billion. 71.3. I'd like the point three, please. Wow. For real? Like that? That would be a lot of change, chunk of change, too, wouldn't you think? That's a lot of cheese. That's a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of gorgonzola. But yeah, the deal is officially done. We knew and it would happen. They're just. I mean, wait- I think a lot of people knew it would happen. Whoever was paying attention to it said, "Yeah, this would be just a matter of inevitability." The only thing, as of now, that I've heard in regards to this is they are currently waiting for, I believe, an antitrust thing to, for it to pass. And once that happens, they're done. And I'm kind of happy. Like, obviously, I'm really, really happy. That Comcast didn't get it because, in all honesty, Comcast can go to hell. But Comcast is a terrible company. It's hot down there. <laughs> it's smoking. It's on fire. Okay, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beavis. <laughs> but anyway, the thing about all of this that it does bum me out is the fact that there's going to be a lot of people that are screwed out of this, you know? Like, people with their jobs and all that. Well, yeah. Like, Yes, we're going to be able to see the Avengers. Yes, we're going to be able to see them team up against the X-Men or with the X-Men. But people's jobs at stake. And that's why, like, the whole Toys R Us thing recently. I love that I can get some deals on these really cool things. And more than what? More than 10 or 15% off? Now, as of right now, it's uh, 60 or 50 to 70% off. Okay. And one of the things, I'll be actually picking up two things, I believe, for you this week. Two Marvel Legends figures. I just feel, though, you know, yeah, also my childhood is disappearing with Toys R Us going away because that was a big part of it. Yeah. But again, at what cost? People losing their jobs? That hate I'm not a fan of that. But, like I said, this actually in a lot of ways will also bring over new creative abilities for people. You know, mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, people are going to lose their jobs, but also some people will gain jobs as a result of this. Yeah, it's just uh, new, fresh evolution. ideas. <laughs> you know. Yeah, oh yeah. And it's you have to see the positive of everything. And that's what this is. You know, there is a positive to this. There's going to be people going now as a result. 
we're going to be seeing the possibility of Avatar joining, not the MCU, but joining the Disney umbrella of things. Avatar might actually be good, finally. After that one movie that was really, really, really awful. (laughs) But we're also going to see alien movies again, you know, maybe even better. Who knows? We're going to see... That's tough. I mean, I know... You know, you see some of these, this just reminds me of, of trailers for movies that are either redone, called the same thing. You know, the question comes up periodically, is Hollywood running out of ideas or has run out of ideas? Take, for example, in October, which is, I think, happening for probably the first time, a movie called Halloween. I haven't thought about that. That's a that's an original idea. I've never heard of that. And, uh, and forget everything you saw since the very first one in, what, 1978? Correct. But everything else doesn't count in terms of this new one that's coming out. Oh, it all counts. Not even, not even Halloween 2 in terms of a, some kind of some kind of semblance of timeline. And somewhere on, on the internet I had gotten a video, I forgot who did it, and how he broke it down in five minutes or less. And it was just all over the place. I'm actually intrigued. You're a Halloween... I, never kn- I know you're a fan of Halloween, the holiday, but are you a fan of the movies? Yes. So if you had gone the ability to Monster Mania in 2016, would you have gone to the Halloween 6 reunion, which featured Paul Rudd? Possibly. If it had happened with Paul Rudd? Possi- possibly, yeah. So you might, have, you might have ponied up a little bit of cash to meet some of the cash. Cast, not cashed. Yeah, well, cashed is what they would have done with me. Cashed in. <laughs> cashed in. Sean Connery. Yeah. Montebank. Got my money. What do I do? Yeah. It was, yeah, possibly. Uh, I have met and got an autographed picture of, for example, P.J. Souls from the original Halloween movie, but also was one of the female characters in the movie Stripes with Bill Murray and some other works. But uh, And she's good people, down to earth kind of thing. When we're done recording, we have to have a Halloween conversation because I did not know that about you. I actually never yeah, knew that you were a fan yeah. of those movies. I did. Are you a slasher movie fan at all, like in general, like Friday and uh, Nightmare? I did, did uh, watch in the mid-80s, thereabouts, the horror movies of that time. So some of oh, the early Friday the 13th movies. They're so cheesy, I, but I love them. Some Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. But not to, you know, recall killing by killing. Yeah. But we, we when, have to, when they went into the fifth version, the fifth of this of that title, then it gets a little bit lost in the In sauce. the interest of fairness, some of those actually do get better as the movies go along. In my opinion, and it's this is my hot take, Jason X is one of the best Friday the 13th movies, and I will fight you on the moon over that I, movie. I can't Not speak you. to that, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those movies where it's so self-aware and just, it's stupid. Jason fighting on the moon. I love it. Yeah, well. In the future, too, no less. Well, they try to get rid of them, I suppose, so we really are out there now, aren't we? They are. Now on to the main event topic matter at hand, Spider-Man 3. A movie that, in all honesty... Gets a lot of vitriol, which is not to be confused with a random medication. But then <laughs> that was a joke Eddie said during the original uh, cut of this, but here we are. Well, it sounds like it's a medicine. It does. <laughs> I don't know if it's good for you or just knocks you on your beep boop. But this was a movie that gets a lot of criticism heaped towards it. And in all honesty, yes, it's deserved. However, I would say not all of the criticisms are just. There are a lot of problems with this movie, which we will get to, but in all honesty, this is a movie that's an example of studio interference. And Eddie, before we started recording, we actually were talking about the history of this movie and 
for example, the idea that there's so many characters in this movie. Like, there are a crap ton. That's one of the things, if not the first thing, that comes to mind with, okay, what's wrong with Spider-Man 3? A lot of characters in here. And can you give them due justice and fleshing out and having them interact successfully with each other? Think about it. We have Peter. We have Mary Jane. We have J. Jonah Jameson. We have Harry Osborn. We have Aunt May. Aunt May. We have the ghost of Ben Parker or the flashbacks of Ben Parker. We have newly introduced characters in the form of Gwen Stacy, Eddie Brock, the Sandman, you know, Flint Marco. And I'm probably missing a couple others in all honesty. I'm thinking you have Captain Cap- Stacy. Captain Stacy is there. And you have the ghost of Norman Osborn. Yeah. You also have the the uh, the butler, Bernard. Yeah. Who plays a role, especially towards the last half hour or so. He has a pretty decent speaking role, so you get a little bit of character on him. Now let me ask you, do you feel this movie could have used fewer new characters? Possibly, yes. And the other thing that I think shows up as a negative on this film is some of the dialogue. Some of, some of the lines that might not have been necessary. I'm not saying you had to cut out an exorbitant amount of things, but if it was a less one less character or so, yeah, fine. The, the thing that, if you sit and think about it, you've got the two main females here, and I don't mean M.A., but Mary Jane Watson and Gwen Stacy together. Yeah. And that's a, um, in some respects, maybe a, a merging of two worlds. You also have Betty Branton here, but and she's you have Betty Branton barely the in there. Yeah, you do. Actually, I would say this is the most Betty Brant's been featured in the movies. Um, in this original trilogy, I, I, I think about equal myself. Really, I, I didn't. And just thinking really quick over glossing over all three, I think about equal. I, I want to say a little bit less. Well, no, I can't say. I'm going to say equal because part of what I was thinking of in my early notes was her J. Jonah Jameson desk buzzer system. Yeah, that she just hits a button from her desk, and and Jonah's kind of like jumps off the floor because he's got to watch his blood pressure. He's got to take his pills. He messes them all up and spills them. But yeah. I feel in a lot of ways, yeah, this movie will have a lot of complaints. And I, I keep repeating that this movie has complaints, and yeah. we will and we, address those we like know. we have. But one of the biggest things about this movie that I feel it retains from the previous two films is the sense of humor that it has. It's very... Yes. It's very rare when jokes hit successfully. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm-hmm. This movie, while Spider-Man's jokes are... Awful, beyond awful. The actual jokes in the film are hilarious. Like you brought up the whole scene with him with his medication, just every couple of seconds, bzz, bzz, that. Yeah. I loved that. And then you also have, I would say, a lot of the jokes involving Jonah land perfectly. Yeah. My favorite being the scene at the end with him talking to a little girl and buying a camera off of her for a hundred bucks and that the film is, you know, extra. And just, yes. It reminds me of old school Hollywood humor. Like that's absolutely absolutely something I would have seen in a Marx Brothers movie. Sure. Like or even fifties, the... let's say I love Lucy and other honeymooners, maybe and in while, some respect. And while we've got that, one thing that will merge it over to the beginning of the film, but th- I feel this movie was Sam Raimi's excuse to show his love of old school Hollywood. Because when you see that opening scene with Mary Jane singing and performing on stage, that screamed 1940s, 1950s Hollywood. The way it was set up, the vocal arrangement, the orchestra, everything. Oh, I yeah. loved it. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. We and see where she's gone now. She's you, you can see. Oh, she's becoming a success. And that's that's the whole aspect of these movies, the evolution of these characters, because they grow. They absolutely grow. And we see much like a teenager to a 20-something, that change in who they are as a person. Yeah. You see that, and that's where the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies really shine. Now, going back over to the development of this movie, when we're talking about the whole idea of so many characters in this, originally Venom was not going to be in this film. Instead, it was would have just been Eddie Brock, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Mm. There was going to be another villain. And by the way, also, we're, as we're watching this movie in the background, we also see Dr. Connor. So once again, another character. There's another character, yeah. So many characters in this movie. Uh, and what's his... Uh, Mr. Dinkovich for, yeah. for The Rent and the daughter, who I don't know that you got her name until towards close to the to the end when when uh, Pete decides to wear the black costume underneath and take on a whole new persona. But Ursula, I believe, is her name. Right. So she's there for a little bit. And... Like I was saying, you know, we almost had a second villain in this movie that was different than Venom. It was going to be the Vulture. They both start with a V, though. <laughs> and it's a really it's, okay. it's a really intriguing thing because he was the villain in a third movie, and he would have been the villain in this third movie. Yeah. Ben Kingsley almost was the Vulture. Mm. And you might know Ben Kingsley from his role in Iron Man 3 as... The Mandarin! And, yeah, it's... That's an that's a neat little trivia fact that he was supposed to be in this and would have been in Spider if if the world was whatever it was round yeah <laughs> hey some people will de- vehemently debate you on that one it's flat mm-hmm. okay on the marvelous we have no opinion about the earth being flat or round you make your own decision anyway with you know, if it happened, we would have had Ben Kingsley in the third Spider-Man movie and in the third Iron Man movie. It's a pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's ironic, though, because both Iron Man 3 and Spider-Man 3 are considered the weakest parts of both trilogies. Oof. Yeah. Ben, if you ever have the ability to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, please don't. Don't you do that. Don't you get you get away from that. You get away from James Gunn. The Grandmaster needs some company. I'm ordering a restraining order against him. Oh, really? Yeah. Good luck with that. I'm going to I'm going to figure this out. Ben Kingsley needs to stay away from Marvel and James Gunn. <laughs> James, don't answer those phone calls. In that order. If you see him outside of your house in the bushes, run. <laughs> now, also, like I said, so we'll go over to the topic of Venom in the movie. Venom, again, was not supposed to be the villain, as you know. You can tell. It was mainly a focal point of the Sandman. And Avi Arad, the producer of this movie, heavily pushed on Sam Raimi, use Venom, use Venom. Fans love him, use Venom. That was mainly the reason of why he's in this movie, because fans love the character. And Sam was not a fan of the character. Mm. Sam grew up, yeah. I believe, a fan of old-school Spider-Man. And when you think of old-school Spider-Man, you don't think of, you know, 80s onward. You think of what? The main group of villains being the Sandman, Dr. Octopus, the Lizard. Mysterio. Mysterio. Electro. Electro, Shocker, Scorpion. Did I say Scorpion? You probably did. Probably. But, like, those. And you know we would have seen, if 4, 5, and 6 happened, you know we would have seen the Scorpion or Shocker. Yeah, I believe. Sure. And... 
even you might even go so far as to say, you know, the jackal and get into a clone uh, dimension, possibly. Craven the hunter. Craven, absolutely. And then even before you would get up to the time of Venom, the black cat. I can none of us mentioned Green Goblin, by the way. <laughs> Once again. That was a first and foremost, movie-wise, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, he was heavily pushed by him. And originally this movie was supposed to be a story of forgiveness. You know, Peter realizing it's not all my fault. He has to realize things are more complex than they are. Mm. And they also, in this movie, introduced something that, if we're being honest, I don't mind, but some people aren't a fan of it because it changes the mythos of Spider-Man. Having Flint Marco, the Sandman, be the killer of Uncle Ben. Yeah, yeah, and and within this then, and I was going to get to it here, you wind up seeing Uncle Ben die again. (laughs) Truth be told, at least a couple times he's shot again. Just the method of how it happens is is different. All the certainties of life, there's five of them. Uh, Death, taxes, taxes. the macho man Randy Savage, Uncle Ben getting shot, and me beating a dead horse. Just all those certainties in life. Wow. Okay. And... I, I just feel, so let's get into the topic matter of the Sandman. Yes. And the Sandman, who was played by Thomas Hayden Church. You might Some of you might know him in his role in George of the Jungle. Wings. Other, uh, I was going to literally say Wings. The show Wings, yes. And he was a choice that visually he looks the part. Mm. He is a perfect Sandman. But his voice, his voice—that stupid voice. I hate his voice. Come on, it doesn't fit. Like when I, I, I can't even do it. I'm in a movie with Paul Giamatti. Look at me. Hey. So it doesn't sound tough enough for you. He he sounds not gruff enough. He sounds like he's sleeping through his lines. If we're being honest, I'm gonna go on a wine tour. Yay! <laughs> it's kind of monotone. Yeah. It really is. Hi. Peter, I'm sorry. I killed your uncle. Now I'm sad. Let me go find my daughter. I'm a sandcastle. Hooray. I'm not asking for your forgiveness. I'm not asking for your forgiveness. I just wanted you to understand. Watch me every week on NBC's Wings. (laughs) What was he, the grease monkey, the the mechanic? I believe he was. Okay. Wings actually might be a show on a future rewatch for me, and I don't know why. Uh, Okay. Because all I can think of is The Simpsons. Tonight on Wings, eh, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) It had its life. It had some some legs to it. That show had seven seasons. How is that possible? Oh, there we go. Okay, fine. And it's depressing that I know that offhand. Well, let's move ahead. Yeah, we really should. There's vitriol for that, too. Let's fly off of Wings right now (laughs) as I fly off the handle. Have a shoot? Was he wearing a shoot? No, he wasn't. (laughs) But anyway, with him, I feel, yeah, they could have cast a better actor. And let me ask you, if you had the ability to cast this movie back in the day, who would you have chosen to be Flint Marco the Sandman? Oh, jeez. On the spot. Thank you so much. But no, I thought he, you know, visually he suited the role. They got him into that shirt, that striped shirt that was part of his attire in the comic, and that was great. Truth be told... Most of the time when that happens in these things, I hate it. I roll my eyes and I'm just like, oh, here we go. We're trying to cater to the comic. Oh, it looks so stupid. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but when I saw Suicide Squad for the first time and you see the dream sequence where Harley is wearing the actual Harlequin outfit, 
I cringed because I'm just, like, not cringed, but I'm just like, oh, that looks awful. Yeah. Because some things translate well from the scr- the comic page or TV screen to the big screen. Yes. Now, when you see the visual of Sandman in the striped shirt, that was the opposite for me. I was like, holy crap, that's actually kind of cool. And I maybe would have gone with a green shirt because it looks like he's, you know, escaping like a weird prison of like the 1920s. Like they just colored him in green. Maybe. I don't know. Hey, you know, they try, they try. And sometimes it works, sometimes not so much. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a movie where those decisions honestly help. And I don't know. I just, I feel the overall decision of adding Venom, that was something that could have done on its own in a different way. I feel the whole Venom storyline was just shoehorned into this movie. Yeah, and you did kind of have it shoehorned in, um, literally, from when you're you're watching it. If you go into it, into a viewing of it, and say, okay, well, how do they kind of manage? Well, when Mary Jane and Peter are in a big web, looking up at the stars... Canoodling. While they're kissing, the meteorite falls to the Earth... Yes. And becomes this, you know, black goo that attaches itself to the license plate of his A symbiote. <laughs> yes. A symbiote, perhaps. Well, That's yeah, that absolutely is. Either, either. Tell Sony. Let's call the whole thing off. Um, They're all spelled the same on the cue cards. But no, you know, there's more than one occasion, I'm going to say at least three times, where you would think that Peter's spider sense would alert him to some impending danger. Yeah. And doesn't happen. And one of them is starting with... The black goo that that moves now in more, in more than one uh, time. I do feel that including that, it should have been its own movie. Like that should have been Spider-Man Five, or some numbered Spidey. But yeah, it's it's possible because there's so much. That was their easy way out of having to worry without having to worry about Secret Wars. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's that's possible if they were thinking that way, that big, that arena, I guess. It's that simple, you know, just that's the way you write it out. And you don't have to worry about, hey, everybody, that's how he got his costume. It's literally, oh, a thing landed on Earth. That's a fine way of getting away with it. Yep. In all honesty, that's probably how they're going to get away with it in Venom. Something landed on the Earth. Whoop-de-doo. <sighs> but with this you don't have that pre-existing universe of characters. And in this world, the X-Men don't exist. The Avengers don't exist. It's just Spidey. Yes. And it's, it's simple in its storytelling of that. And I just, I don't know. I don't like the idea of just jamming something that could have been this big elaborate story. Even the way it was simply introduced, all of that could have been a great story on its own. Actually, it was introduced prior to just falling from the sky in the way of the opening credits. You have the recap scenes going on, but you also have, you have yes, the change of music that is associated with Sandman and, and or Venom because you've got the, the crawling going on of, yeah, oh yeah. of the material as well as looking through the web and the, the letters dispersing, changing to the next title, credit, etc. in the opening again but you have the introduction of it just right there at the start. So yeah. you're going to be in for, if you didn't read a review before you saw it, or what's, commercials. What's, what's to happen, yeah. Now, funny, fa- funny story about this movie. 
I'm a big Venom fan. Venom's one of my all-time favorite characters of the 1990s, and it just, seeing the character brings back good memories of, you know, just childhood. When this was movie was revealed, every single time a commercial for this movie came on the screen, I would shut it off. <laughs> because I wanted to be surprised by what Venom looks like in the movie. Okay. Now, let's, let's get into that. How Venom looked. This is one that people have openly criticized I'm one of those. I liked how it looked. It was a cool-looking costume. I think for the limited amount of Venom that I've seen in red, it looked pretty damn good. Yeah. And and the way it um, shrieked or howled or whatever the noise was that it made, and the voice change in Eddie Brock when he put it on. I'm sorry. Or when it put himself over him. You know, that was... I'm not saying it was superior or anything to that effect, but the look of it when he wasn't vocalizing any words... Was, was good. I like I like the screaming, you know, the hissing and all that stuff. But I hated Topher Grace's voice as Venom because, as I told you off mic, for some reason Topher Grace as the Venom voice reminded me of a cat, a snarky cat in a cat food commercial. (sighs) Like I just imagine him going on saying, "Temptations, they're delicious." Give me some temptations. Why aren't you giving me those temptations? They've got catnip. Yeah. Like I just like I just yeah. imagine him going on about catnip for like fifteen minutes. But which we will not. We will we will not. Instead, we're going to go on a little tangent about why Topher Grace. I love him in the build up to the character, but if anybody was not supposed to be Eddie Brock, Venom, it's Topher Grace. Let's be real here. Edward Brock Jr. And the idea of this character in the script and the build-up to all of it was it was supposed to be a mirror image of Peter Parker. Mm. You know, the idea of, oh, he's just like him in regards to the profession, his love interest, this, that, the other thing. But it just doesn't work for me. Because when you look at Topher Grace, and if you look at him circa that 70s show in 1998 onward... Mm -hmm. He is a living embodiment of what Peter Parker is supposed to be. And I will continue to say this for as long as I live. The biggest missed opportunity of Marvel and Sony is not casting Topher Grace as Peter Parker. You watch him on that 70s show, he has the Parker luck. Uh-huh. He has all of those little traits, and he's got the look. If I had a conversation. I want to say it was with Lan Pitts. He basically said... That character is a Mark Bagley drawing come to life. That's Topher Grace. And instead they gave him the role of anti-Peter. That's what he is. That's absolutely what he is. Oh, Spider-Man's a redhead? Oh, Spider-Man's a brunette? Better make him blonde. Oh, uh, you know, it's that. He's literally the opposite of everything. Oh, Peter Parker is a photographer with morals? Let's make him one without. As evident with the one scene where he photoshops an old Spider-Man shot and makes him vilified. Yeah. In the black costume. I get it. I absolutely get it. But no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. No, no. Venom is supposed to be this big, scary, imposing character. And like I keep saying, he should have been the... F- like, if you have Venom, make him the focal point. Don't make him an afterthought like he was in this movie if we're being honest it was it's very much like like competing characters like who's gonna be the main thing and i just feel like everyone will jokingly you know 
some people have said Batman v Superman should have been Batman v Superman, Dawn of Jam It All In. No. This is that oh. kind of movie oh. where everything is just jammed in. And it does tell a cohesive story, but at what cost? And, look at the revenue numbers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, honestly, Eddie, you could put Spider-Man on a video of like someone mowing the lawn. And if you say it's tied to the MCU, people will still go to see it. Let's be real yeah, here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I remember that lawnmower when it appeared in Incredible Hulk number one seventy five. Please, <laughs> that was my favorite. Now, you know what would really kill me if there was actually a lawnmower showing up in Spider- Incredible Hulk one seventy five. Just saying, that would be pretty great. Uh, I'm remembering a, an Incredible Hulk issue where he's in a cornfield. Uh, Is there a lawnmower? Eddie? No, but there's a tractor, so I'm kind of getting into that mm. arena. I don't know if that's I don't I don't he's hurling the tractor above his head about to yeah, okay. I don't know if that's really canon, Eddie. Well, it is signed by Bob Layton of, of Iron Man, so that's why I remember it pretty vividly. Now, on to the topic of the relationships of characters in this movie. Oh yes. I would say that is where this movie is incredibly strong. And I was very invested, maybe up until halfway through the movie. And that's quite a while when okay. I'm watching this movie going, oh, everyone goes on there, this movie sucks, everyone hates this movie, blah, blah, blah. I'm watching it, I'm like, it's not as bad as I remember. It's Like, I've flip-flopped with this movie over the years. I used to vehemently defend this movie. And then I watched it again, like, four years ago, I want to say. Hmm. And I'm like, wow, I understand why everyone hates this movie. <sighs> To now the most recent rewatch, where I'm a lot more versed in these movies, I have a you know better knowledge of the characters and a better understanding of what makes these work. Spider-Man Three works in many ways, and mm-hmm. the relationship with characters is where it shines. I'm definitely in the minority of it that this is again not as bad as it's made out to be. There is some question with the relationships as to where they're going, I think. Uh, Much just, like my thoughts. Just going, yeah, that, that's random. That's okay. But it's tough, depending on what these characters are feeling, or maybe not expressing as well, but you have to take some assumptions as to why one is doing something when they might not need to or should. So, yeah, it gets cross lines. Now, one thing that I want to know... Do you feel the idea that technically the third villain in this movie is Harry Green Goblin Jr. Osborn? Do you feel that he's the compli- first one that you I think come out with that the movie comes out with actually because you- he's still got the hate going for Peter who says you know he killed his father. He finds the goblin tech he uh, he gasses up, I'm going to say that's what I wrote it in the notes. Right. And so that he can get uh this 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 anger, this strength to go into it, and he knows it's Peter, and having that alleyway fight scene, and in a in a good way, perhaps him losing his memory to start with, yeah, as the result of a fall, and him just remembering that Peter and Mary Jane are his good best friends, and that's perpetuated for a while. the 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 twist, I guess, that has to bring him back to his goblin persona. I think comes out of liquor when yeah. he when he when he 
goes on a little bit of a bender, and as he's having some brandy, perhaps, his father's voice comes to him and says, you know, you've, you've taken your eye off the ball, avenge me, and the line that was used in the first one, first we attack his heart. Yeah, there's a lot of callbacks in these movies, yep. and that's what I think is a major benefit. It's the overall arc of it. Like it's I, just that that line is used on Mary Jane in respect to going to Mary Jane instead of to Aunt May Yeah, as the directive, the motive, the object of that statement. Now, obviously, with the character of Harry, he ends up going back to the side of the angels and at the end joins the angels. Oh, but oh. we end up seeing what is an F yeah moment where at the end we see him team up with Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's, that's a great thing. And the way they did it was very well. And it got me excited. It, you know, I enjoyed seeing these two team up because you, at the end, you want to see them be friends. It's like the equivalent of, you know, being a parent and you have, you know, your one son or your one daughter, and you have a friend, and their kids, they're fighting with your kid. I just want to see them back together, be friends again. I miss that. I miss the old days when you would go over and play Nintendo. Why aren't you playing with Bobby anymore? Why, why, why don't you go over anymore? He wanted to come over to your birthday. <laughs> we need another vitriol over here. <laughs> As a sedative. <laughs> Said I give. Sorry, young Frankenstein moment. And like I said, when you see them become friends again, they're going to go to each other's birthdays. And then he dies. But still, it happens. It sure does. Well, he gets to go to his funeral, at least. Like his father died. But... Death by impalement. Death by glider, I think, isn't it? No. Yes, okay. But he's impaled by something else, I believe. Well, it's... They're both gliders. Well, yeah. Skateboard glider, (laughs) if you want. Extreme. Okay. There you go. Impaled by Venom. But what I, you know, I, again, I love that. I think the idea of those characters just becoming friends again and in the ultimate, it's his ultimate redemption, him making up for his past sins and the sins of his father. Because I like to think if they had planned this a little bit differently, if they didn't kill the goblin, he would have originally shown up in this. He would have helped Spider-Man. He came to his senses and realized Spider-Man's actually in the right. They have this one foe is worse than anybody, and even the villain agrees we have to stop him. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Some of that conversation was a little hokey, but some of it was on on mark and had humor in it. A little help here. Am I inter- sorry? Am I interrupting? You know, uh, those are Harry lines, of course. And then that. Now, on the topic of hokey. Unfortunately, I have to bring up some of the CGI in this movie. I feel like it's it's a mixed bag. Some of the CGI is absolutely incredible. Like, 11 years later, still holds up pretty damn well, like the Venom scenes. On the flip side, we have the one fight, which is pretty much just them fighting in front of a green screen. Literally, not just the goblin in this movie is green, but the screen. That's That's how I feel about that's this a, movie. That's a given, but... Well, yeah, but it looks like they're playing in a video game. Case in point, are you talking about a Spidey Venom fight sequence? I'm talking about the fight scene between uh, Harry and Spider-Man. When they're, you know, fighting and, you know, falling down or whatever. In the early part of the movie? Right before we end up getting Henry's amnesia? I'm talking about right before Spider-Man. No, this is, yeah, this is right before the amnesia, but this is. Okay. The alleyway. 
when he's well when Peter walks around in his black suit dancing to James Brown. Okay, so it's actually a Peter Harry fight in in um, at nighttime. Yeah, Harry's place. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, there's just scenes like that where it's just so hokey, and they both get their frustrations out. And all oh, right, and then it goes into yeah. the the hidden um, inside of the the mansion where the goblin tech is. And Correct. even throwing the pumpkin bomb, but Spidey, but Peter webs it, throws it back at him. Yeah, puts him in his place. Oh, little little hobbling, you know, little goblin junior. Like I said, it's just cry for his, you know. I just feel some of that stuff wasn't needed. They could have just gone with you know practical effects, or they could have gone with you know a back alley fight. I don't care. Like mm-hmm. I get that you know the goblin has the glider. You end up incorporating him flying in the air. They could have. They could have found different resolutions for that instead of just going all super green screen. But 2007, we're seeing this for the first time. That looks state-of-the-art to us. Yeah. So I understand. Like, not everything is going to hold up. But on the flip side, look at the CGI in 1993's Jurassic Park, and you're like, holy crap, this still looks good. <laughs> so, again, your mileage may vary. But yeah, that's right. on the topic of your mileage may vary, I'm going to get into a topic that some people absolutely hate, and other people, a lot of people, a lot of people hate it. Majority. Emo Peter Parker. Let's get into something that I really don't think a lot of people get. When we're seeing the scene with Peter with his, you know, emo bangs and the all-black outfit— and he's snapping his fingers to James Brown. I'm sorry, but I was an emo kid back then. There is no way in hell I was listening to James Brown snapping my fingers. <laughs> the reason people call him emo Peter in this is he's a little bit, he's, you know, he's with that change in attitude and this and yep, that. Yep. And he's wearing all black. So that clearly makes him emo. That's like the people who call me a goth kid because I listen to Aerosmith. I was not a goth kid and Aerosmith is not goth. No, it's You dumbasses. I literally had that conversation once. Oh, they must be some goth band. Yeah, yeah. The guys that did Dream On and uh, Ragdoll are a goth band. Shut up. <laughs> but that's a tangent for another day and another kind of podcast. Yeah. And a therapist probably. But here we are. But <laughs> the James Brown scene is the equivalent of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head from Spider-Man 2. When we're seeing him walking to that B.J. Thomas song, it's his idea of what cool is. Him being, you know, doing his thing. Yeah. And he's yeah. still failing. He's, you know, like you said, he trips. He does this. In the emo scene with James Brown, that's what Peter's idea of cool is. And he's failing miserably at it. And whether it's Peter's perception or not, you are seeing women on the street walking by, looking at him. In some cases, with repulsion, <laughs> repulsion, and in some other cases, like oh, he, hey, he, you know, yeah, it's like a very uh, perhaps some kind of interest. But you do see both sides of it, I believe. Yeah, and one at least. I don't know, Eddie. I'm like, saying so far, it's like a lot of disgust. <laughs> some of it was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, yeah, uh, like what is he doing, kind of thing. Yeah, right down to the thrust uh, push. Yes, yes, a gift that will live in infamy yeah. or in Facebook land. But on the topic of emo, Peter, I just have to say. Like, reiterate this. Emo kids don't go to jazz clubs, and they don't do really impressive dance numbers involving chairs and (laughs) redheads. But it's more just 
black hair Spider-Man trying to be cool. That's really about it. And this is his idea of cool, which not really. He's he's kind of doing bad, isn't he? Oh, oh, he's snapping his finger. We're literally watching the background. He's snapping his fingers. Yeah, well, you didn't know that being cool meant you could play the piano. Or snap fingers. He could uh, dance. I'm pretty cool. Snap fingers. I mean, you know. Oh, sorry. Just wiped out half of existence. Ew. Again. This is way This is way before that. 11 years or so. Yeah. Mr. Raimi, I don't feel good. <laughs> now we're merging worlds. Oh, no, sure. we sure are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, while while we're actually on the topic of Infinity War and stuff like that, I got a question for you. Oh, you do? All right, go ahead. I'm here. Let's say, down the line, we end up getting an adaptation of the Spider-Verse story. Now, Spider-Verse is a storyline that was known for the merging of different universes and, you know, seeing all these different Spider-Men interact with each other. Spider-Ham, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099, etc. If that were to happen, could we ever see... Tom Holland meet up with Tobey Maguire and or Andrew Garfield? Quite possibly. Yeah, I don't think it would be too big of a stretch because if you put them in different parallel lines, universes, but time frames. Parallel lines? Okay, Blondie. Blondie album. I know. I said that once before. <laughs> Not just today. And it was overlooked. It's called Eddie Wilson's Life. He always makes Blondie references. It's a music thing. It's what I am. And... No, I think it, it is quite possible. That would be kind of cool to see that, to see that happen. You know, we know them as different portrayals of Spider-Man, so an evolution sort of thing. That might not be a bad thing to try and incorporate. I would love to see, though, acknowledgments of some elements of this universe. Like see maybe Tom Holland go, am I ever going to go through an emo phase? Yeah, right, Okay. Because it would be a, a, a phrase that people would know. And it would be a, it would be a fun acknowledgement of what the past was yes. with these movies. Yes. Now, going back over to the villain of the Sandman, towards the end of the film, we end up seeing him become this big, monstrous villain, a CGI monstrosity. And monstrosity is a really good word for that. If we're being real here, once again, it's an example of where CGI makes it look like we're literally just watching a big screen video game and not a good one. I don't know. You know, I don't think of it in terms of that per se, but I'm naive to a lot of things. I take it as, okay, this is what's being presented. He's in this form for or this amount of time. He's getting the, you know what, pounded out of him. Bejeebies. And then some, yeah. And it looks pretty bleak. Just like the TV reporter, the heavily English-accented female reporter on scene and the announcer Is on this the end of Spider-Man? It's literally that. So some of that is where the, the corniness comes in, I think. Oh, yeah. For sure. I think that part, the, the corniness shines in a way, and you didn't want it to. If we're being honest, these are very corny movies, but I think that's a part of these movies' charm. To a degree. You just don't know. How much is going to be accepted and just, okay, you went too far. It's a crapshoot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we also, like I said, I just, I don't know whether or not the idea of Eddie Brock as Venom is that interesting of a character with the Venom personality. I feel as, as we're watching the movie, once again, we're up to the scene where he's in church praying and he says, dear God. Please kill Peter Parker. Yeah. Which is a kind of funny line when you really think about it. 
Sure. But that should have been a line not from a Venom kind of character. Like, this is a character who could have been something else, I feel. Like, different name, but, like, a rival of him, but, like, anti-Peter, but not friggin' Venom. (laughs) Even when he... In the comics, when Eddie Brock is around, he's this big, evil, imposing kind of character. And then when he gets the symbiote, he is, like, turned up to 11 again. Yeah. And I will always continue to say this. The perfect person, if he had acting ability for this, would have been the UFC fighter slash wrestler Brock Lesnar. When you look at the Todd McFarlane version of the character, and then you look at him, at Brock... Uh-huh. Which is appropriate name for him. I'm like, wait a minute. We have a Brock match. Yeah. He was literally... Brock. Okay. He was literally born to play Eddie Brock. But he just didn't have the acting ability to do so. Yeah. And I'm actually pulling up on my phone a picture of Brock Lesnar. Tell me that guy would not make a great Eddie Brock. I will not. Now because, I will yes, show... He's, he's just big and formidable and yeah, he could whoop you. Now I'm going to show you a Until picture... I'm going to show you a picture of Eddie Brock done by Todd McFarlane. Oh, I recall the massiveness of his character, you know, almost bursting through his tight shirt or whatever. See? Yeah. Not you, audience. I'm talking to Eddie. Yeah, exactly. But we kind of are in agreement. He would make a like the imposingness of that. Yep. But then you hear Brock speak, and he's just like, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, no. So, no, that can't really happen. No, that when they when they uh, when they did singing in the rain when they imposed uh, a singing voice into an actress that was going to make it, but her voice was so tiny and juvenile, then you know it was downhill from there. Now let me ask: We've dissected the villains of this movie quite a bit, and we've also dissected the relationship of, or the most controversial aspect of, quote unquote, emo Peter. Let's discuss the introduction of one of Peter's many love interests. Gwen Stacy. Now, this, in my opinion, was an example of, once again, something that was just shoehorned in. Mm, Too many characters. They're classmates. And she's smart. And she was like that in the comics, correct? I guess she had some smartness about her. I'm I'm going stereotypical blonde and so on, but, you know, not remembering too, too much, trying to think about the the character herself. Blondes, be sure to send your strongly worded letters to Eddie at themarvelous at gmail.com. Gosh darn it. (laughs) Strongly worded letters. SWLs. Those will be strongly worded. You know what? Maybe it just comes from the the statement I make is due to the fact that they're classmates. Right. In the science class, she's answering a question correctly, and it's something that we don't know her as being or don't give her credit for being. So... She's not maybe portrayed in the comics for that particular reason. She's a love interest. Yeah, she's going to the same school. We don't know how well she's excelling, but... Well, she's not in the X-Men. There we are. Excelling. That's uh, like the extra large XL. Okay. I didn't really care for the version of Gwen Stacy that's portrayed in here, and I feel the Emma Stone version in the Amazing series is vastly superior. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot more fleshing out to her character, a lot more of her personality, where if this Gwen Stacy died, I wouldn't care. (laughs) But the Emma Stone version, obviously, she's more fleshed out. She's had two friggin' movies. She was the main love interest, so I get that. Yes. But if you introduce a character, 
you should make me care about them. You should make me be like, wow, I want to see this character's evolution throughout this film. Yeah, I mean, you do get the rescue of her with that runaway crane and the modeling shoot that's going on with Gwen. And from the rescue, you see Eddie Brock on scene, but he doesn't, and it's established at that point, I think, that they're an item, Gwen and Eddie, but he doesn't seem to be too concerned about her safety, her well-being from from being rescued. Eddie, correct? Eddie, right. Uh, Because he's obsessed with, sort of obsessed with getting a good Spider-Man picture. Yeah. Well, he's one of those people that is career first over, you know, love. Yeah. Which, A, I understand. But I just feel, like I said, they made her into a character that I don't care. I just genuinely don't care about her character. And that's the problem. You, When you introduce a character, you want to care about their evolution as a character. Yeah, you do. Yep. Although, in the comics, the love interest, the very first love interest is Betty Brandt. And she's just an afterthought in this movie. She's really that. She's just one and done. Yeah, you want How, to have her in there to, to to put as many characters from the comic as you can, I guess, and have them have a purpose, but however, doesn't get too far, right? Well, however, I say it like this, though. In the movies, introducing a character like that, very subtle, you don't pay any attention to them, but they will have an impact later on. That's how people are in real life. You meet yes. people and you pay no mind and then they might play a major part later on in your life you don't know no, so that's not. the story that's where I understand it like yeah. I've dated people where I'm just like oh hey I really liked her she was a sweet girl you know whatever didn't really talk to her much fast forward three years later whoa we're dating that person that I talked to for five minutes we're dating okay that's weird mm-hmm. am I actually going to talk to her more and, or is it just going to be like hey we're dating now oh, okay cool yeah but yeah I like it's it's a 50-50 kind of thing. That's somewhat smart storytelling, but when you have Gwen Stacy introduced, and she's supposed to be, in this movie, the way she's written is supposed to be kind of a quote-unquote big deal, all she comes across to me as is, hey, I'm here so Peter can make uh, Mary Jane jealous for a scene. That's all <laughs> she is. Yeah. I guess we should maybe circle towards the end of all of this, I would say. Eddie? If I can make some touching little points, just again to touch on a couple of things before we get to the very end with with Betty Brandt. You see her a little bit later where, where Peter's actually, uh, you know, in his in his new attitude and uh, saying, I, I can show you more photos later. Like, he's kind of coming on to her. And she's, and she's kind of playing into it. Yeah. Because he's a little bit hypnotizing, I suppose, to her. And, and Jameson comes in and says, that's not the position I hire you for. I think we missed something in there. There may have been another scene, but that's how that you know got pieced together. Yeah. But let's not forget that with Gwen Stacy, she's the one who's announcing that Spidey's going to get the key to the city, and you do have the Stanley cameo, which is enough, I think, for him just to walk to Peter as he's reading the marquee, scrolling, and saying, you know, I guess one man can make a difference. Enough said. True believers and, and walks no true believers. Other oh, catchphrases. Away, it's exactly right. And and sunglasses that's, and that's it. indoors. It. No, he was not sunglasses. He was not indoors. <laughs> wow. Uh, so he is honored, Spidey. And and then you get a, a Shazam out of him again, yeah. as you had previously in another Spider-Man another one film. Right. Okay. Actually, let me rewind back over to that Stanley cameo. I feel like at this point, this was the most fleshed-out Stanley cameo, and. 
personally, this is actually up there as one of my favorite Stan cameos. It's a good one. It's it's simple, direct, clean, and yeah. to the point. That's exactly right. Yeah, and a, and the return of the of things like the upside down kiss that Peter inv- that Spidey invites, which is a nice callback to, to the first one. Yeah, plant one on me, you know. And the idea of that was our thing. That was special. Although, as we've mentioned before in Spider Man, that's something that they're not a fan of. Both Toby and Kirsten. Correct. Yeah, that's it's done. It's over. Let's move on. But they go back to that. But it was unique, and when it started, so it becomes you know uh, bordering on iconic, I guess. But you also have the return we we had mentioned before of Bruce Campbell, this time as the fresh French restaurant uh, maitre d' or it was so great or head waiter, right? And this is where you have Gwen at some point in their meeting MJ, and you're also introduced to well, you have a name for this uh, the first burglar. Of, uh, the Hamburglar. Of D- Dennis Carradine. And again, the Uncle Ben story. So that's where they're going to tie in that there was more than one person involved. Dr. Connors comes back in and he's kind of helping to understand what this alien black thing is, is doing. It's, it's taking on characteristics. On the topic of that, we actually have a question on our Facebook page from Facebook user Corbin Crawford. What about the symbiote? that Dr. Connors has in his office. Could that be carnage? That actually is one of those things where I didn't think about that because you never know. That could be something. It was sectioned off from the main Venom symbiote. Yeah, so maybe if you wanted to expand on that story, sure, why not? That actually, like, maybe incorporate the whole... Here's how I would have done it. So obviously the lizard was going to be a villain in a future Spider-Man film. Mm-hmm. Why not have a scene where that stuff is sitting there and Connors turns into the lizard and maybe takes a lab assistant, bites him, and his blood just spurts out and merges with the the uh, symbiote sitting there, oh. turns blood red. That's how you get Carnage. It's a simple, cheap, yeah. easy way. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like Corbin asked, could that be it? I could see that. That's like very much like a very much like Betty Brant, small little detail that you really didn't notice. You really didn't think any much about it. Yep. And now it's a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what they did in terms of the progression of the symbiote is now it's a Spidey suit. It's a whole genuine bona fide stationary. In Certified. Place. Electrified. And uh, Monorail. Monorail. Yeah. Monorail. It's, a, it's a Spidey suit. So we have to go along with the fact that now it's a piece of clothing. Before we wrap up this episode, let's get into a couple more of the Facebook questions. Facebook user Matthew Perry asks, Would it have been better if Venom wasn't forced in by Sony? Or do you prefer Venom being the main antagonist instead of Sandman? Well, you all heard my opinion. I feel Venom should have been the main villain and not a side, you know, character. Venom should have been the main focus that story can be something of its own. It could. And maybe just, of course, at the time, jumping on the hype of or the bandwagon of Venom being popular in the comics that, hey, maybe we we can uh, do something with this and have it take off in that way and hope that it's not going to be too much in there. But it kind of it kind of was. What was interesting to to note was that unintentionally, I imagine when when Peter realizes that things are not as good as they can be, he's in the black suit, it's raining, he's at the top of the church steeple, he goes into the bell tower, and it's assumed that by accident, when he decides to start taking this 
costume off that it peels away with the this the, the tone of of the bell yeah that the being the alien being cannot deal with so that was kind of a neat thing to uh, to throw in there and what i would say is though making venom a side villain for this it really hinders the importance of sandman as the villain of this because you have such an important thing with the whole reveal that, you know, he was responsible for Uncle Ben's death. Yeah. It damages it to me because you end up losing the importance of all of that, that big emotional thing, because you're already emotionally spent because of, hey, here's Venom. And with with that in mind, with, with the whole Venom concept and the, the alien costume, which brings out the negative in Spider-Man, in Peter... He is brutal with the fight underground and subway scene with Sandman, where it seems like he is utterly destroyed by being flooded. But it seems like that's the only way he can be stopped is to rip open the main sewer pipe and flood Sandman into, you know, he can't be cohesive in his wet, sandy state until a bunch later. And he's able to, you know, reform. Likewise, you know, towards the end, you only see Sandman in that big gargantuan monster esque form. Where the Harry, video game. yeah, where Harry thankfully is able to uh, kind of blast him to smithereenies and stop the pounding of uh, Spidey on the girder by being choked by Venom on there. And then again, you know, you you get towards the end, and Harry takes takes one for Peter. Yeah, uh, he comes to the rescue in more than one time, which is. An uplifting moment, but but kind of wrenching, heart wrenching a bit. I I don't know. I when you have so many characters, they all each discount each other. The importance of each one is now less because of the goings on of the other ones, and yep. they in turn all lower themselves down. But the other thing that I noticed too towards the end that we both actually watched before the podcast was how Venom gets destroyed after. Spidey is able to pull Eddie out of Venom, but then with the pumpkin bomb being thrown in there and Eddie jumping back into the Venom character, it seemed like an implosion or just blown to smithereenies that it, you know, that's just the way they did it without it spreading everywhere. Because then then you're going to have little pieces of Venom all over the place and what do you do with that? Yeah. So that was probably the best way to see it uh, go to pieces, literally. And a Sandman does a self-dissolve at the end of their discussion between him and, and Peter. Thanos snapped his fingers. And See, that's going to do it himself. Sandman can do it himself. And he can go through the air. Do you realize that's going to be a thing now? Whenever you see something yeah. dissolve, that's going to be what the that's first thing is. That's exactly right. I kind of dig that the MCU managed to transcend pop culture in such a short <laughs> amount of time. Like, just that. The movie came out in friggin' early, or late April, early May, and already, like, two months later, we already still have, like, Jokes that make perfect sense. Absolutely. I love that. I think let's let's get into our overall personal retrospect of this movie and now or our overall review of it. I'll go first. Is Spider-Man 3 flawed? Oh God, yes it is. <laughs> oh God. So ask the obvious question. Go ahead, you just did. But it has a lot of heart. And that's something that is often ignored when talking about this movie. It's not as bad as people make it out to be. 
you still have those emotional connections of all the characters, the overall story arc. And I feel it was almost like we know what's next. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We built these characters up. And to see this as the quote-unquote a swan song of the series is sad because Mm -hmm. there's so many more stories these actors could have told and these writers could have told but ultimately didn't because at the end of the day, things happen. And yeah, so is this a perfect movie? Far from it. It will never be considered a perfect movie. In many ways, it is 101 on how not to do a superhero movie. (laughs) And I say that in the sense of jamming so many characters into a film where almost everyone loses importance. I forgot Aunt May is in this movie, Eddie. Oh, no, you can't. I forgot. In the beginning, especially because you've got the wedding ring, the engagement ring that will be given or tried to. And and it looks like it's it's gone in the first battle there with with Gone, just like Aunt May. She's not gone. The other one's gone. Uncle Ben, for crying out loud. She went off to film another movie, Eddie. She She was just busy doing her own thing. She went to to go get a pack of cigarettes and never came home. Get out. (laughs) Yes, she did. She did. I'll be back in a few minutes. I'm going to go to the convenience store. I'll be right back. And Dad never returned. That was the Iron Man 2 or (laughs) 3 scenario. Yeah. Now, I would say... Looking back, it's not as bad as I remember. In fact, if we're being honest, I kind of enjoyed watching this movie for the most part. I just feel a lot of it doesn't hold up in the sense of the ending, where everything's just, let's get everyone together, come on for our big, you know, encore. And it's just muddled. It's just just like the Sandman with water. It's very muddled and doesn't work that well and then some of the effects don't hold up it's very much a mixed bag but like i said maybe the first half of the movie i enjoyed it was a good effort and then you just start noticing where the studio interference comes in (laughs) now if i had to give this movie a rating i'm being very generous here we go out of five correct i would say Two and three quarters out of five. Now, here's the thing about that. It's a little bit better than half. I would say that's maybe a C minus. And if I had to watch this movie or Thor The Dark World, I would pick this any day of the week. Ah, okay. So while it's not not a great movie, (laughs) like I said, but it's a much more cohesive experience. It's a much better story than Thor The Dark World because it actually intrigues you, makes you... Like I said, as we're recording this episode, I'm watching this movie in the background, and yeah, it's it's like a quote-unquote... It does have the Star Wars effect, believe it or not, <laughs> where you can put this movie on for the last 10 minutes and watch it and still be engrossed. So, there's that. Now, Eddie, what did you think of this movie? Malekith! I didn't ask you who the villain is. You said Dark World. Gosh darn it. And so there you are. You just wanted to pull it out of me. Anyway. Like Brock and Venom separating. Anyway, anyway, anyway. There's two Eddies here now. There's a Brock and there's a Wilson. Get to your Eddie thoughts. OMG. Well, I think since Dark World was brought up that I think I was nicer with a rating of, what, three and a half out of five. Yeah. So... 
I, I think this is going to be on a similar plane to really be nice and 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 good about it. Um, Are we being generous, Eddie? <laughs> definitely in the three range. So I mean, I might even say three and three and a quarter, mm. but I don't think I'd go higher than three and a half out of five. I would say maybe rough. Like this is more it. It hovers in the two and a, two and three quarters, three range, for you. Go it's ahead. it's that kind of movie, but I go yeah. more with the two and three quarters because the problems really outweigh themselves. They're they are significantly there, and so it stumbles through some parts of it. So yeah, so I'm gonna go three and a quarter. So now before we go, people, let's get into what next episode is going to be. We're going to be talking about Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6. What if? We're going to be talking about what those movies were going to be about, Mm. the future of the franchise, and what ended up happening to it. Obviously, we did not get 4, 5, and (laughs) 6. Obviously, Sam Raimi is not coming back to do a Spider-Man movie, although people over the years have wanted to see him return to the superhero genre. I'm one of them. Why not give the guy another chance? He mm-hmm. did three movies that, regardless of anything, have put their stamp on pop culture. And, Eddie, I have to ask you, at the end of the day, these three movies, what do you think their lasting impact will be on the superhero genre? I think there was an establishment made of of bringing the superhero genre to the fore to bringing it forward to modern times and more worldwide acceptance. People recognizing and knowing uh, awareness of this as something that is not just for kids, you know, can transcend somewhat time, if I'm not being too, too vague. So I think it has it has a place in the, the overall timeline, in, in the history of these movies, and in a positive vein, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They made superhero movies cool and hip, after the Schumacher Batman kind of put the kibosh on it for people. Because there was a time from 1998 onward until around the time this and the X-Men movies happened. Okay, People really didn't care about these kind of movies. There was like a real dry spell from that time period. There was Blade, but Blade was advertised not as a comic book movie, but as, Mm. oh, look at this cool movie of the vampire killer. It's a vampire movie, yeah. Yeah, it was more that. It wasn't comic books. And... The Spider-Man movies, like I said, made it cool and hip to enjoy this stuff. And there was, you know, an increase in people reading the comics as a result of it. And it was it was a pop culture juggernaut. I would say we wouldn't have the MCU, we wouldn't have a lot of the movies that we're getting today if it wasn't for Spider-Man. Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, regardless of anything. Yeah, I agree. And... They were a definite game changer for Marvel because they also were able to tell stories using only a few characters and branch out an entire universe. This was like the, this was MCU before there was an MCU because we kept seeing characters slowly get revealed, slowly come in. And of course, three happened and bombarded us with 85 characters, but still, I would say they're fantastic movies that. You should see if you haven't seen them. If you haven't seen them, you are missing out. Yeah. Are they perfect? No. They can be corny. They can be cheesy. But the positives outweigh that. Now, 
that's why I'm really happy, in all honesty, that these movies won our poll because they're a great way that I got to re-experience this stuff one more time. You know? Yeah, no, no question. And agreed. It's something that you can look back on and say, hey, this is where it started. And it's good to even go back if you hadn't seen them in a while to get a refresher kind of thing. And again, with every viewing, seeing something you hadn't before. Yeah. There, I, I know there were at least a couple of things that I had. So wait, wait a minute. With this movie that I hadn't realized had actually happened. I think part of the intensity of the Harry Peter fight. There's a Harry Peter? Came through. Yeah, eight, <laughs> le- eight legs too. Continue. Came through and and it hit me um, of an impact of the uh, brutality of this of this fight, a knockdown drag out battle that that happened as Harry and Peter, not Goblin and Spidey. So you get more out of it regardless of repeated viewings. So would you say that these are recommended movies? Yeah, just definitely. checking. Definitely. Sometimes you like chicken. Sometimes you like pork. Now this summer we're going to be doing some stuff differently. We're going to we're still trying to figure things out for the next few weeks, but in the meantime, how can people get a hold of us on social media? Why I'm glad I asked that, Peter. Me too, Peter. Go on Facebook.com/slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. Now also go on the Twitter at The Marvelists or at The Marvelists. There we go. I wanted you to have it, Eddie. Oh. You can also follow myself at Peter Melnick yourself. At E. Wilson 959. You can follow myself on Instagram at Peter Melnick or us collectively at The Marvelists. Or yourself on Instagram at Eddie 9193. Very cool. And also you can drop us a line in our email bag, which I did not mention at the top of the show. Send us some questions, comments, strongly worded letters, and also suggestions of what you want to see us do on The Marvelous. Would you like to see us cover maybe some different TV shows? Some you know obscure stuff from Marvel's past. Send us what you want to see. The Marvelous at gmail.com. And also be able to check this show out on Stitcher Radio, available for all iOS and Android devices. And also be sure to sign up on Stitcher.com slash premium and get a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And when you do that, it helps support the show, helps us out with our server costs, all that good stuff. But on top of that, you end up getting yourself a free month of Stitcher Premium. And you get a crap ton of audio content that otherwise you have to pay separately for sometimes. For example, like I said, the WTF archives, you have to pay separately for that from from their website. But with Stitcher Premium, you pay $5 a month afterwards if you want, if you want to stay on. And you get that included along with, I believe, the Earwolf content, Smodco, and Marvel's Wolverine The Long Night. So Stitcher.com slash premium. And at checkout, use that promo code Marvelists. And also be sure on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Five star if you like the show that much. And leave a kind review if you want to. So for Peter Melnick... I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior!